right, good morning, RCC. Good morning, friends who are joining us online today. We're glad to have you with us, especially if you are, in fact, joining us for the first time, whether here at the school or on our YouTube page. We're really glad that you're worshiping with us today. Our scripture reading for today's sermon comes from the book of Acts. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and we'll be reading the first 11 verses for today's passage. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. I'll read it for us, and you can follow along uh, in your Bible or your mobile app, or as always, on the screen in front of us. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke is the author of Acts, the human author of Acts, and he begins as follows to his recipient. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, we now ask for your help as we've just read your word. We ask that you would uh, help us to understand uh, this passage and the other texts we'll be looking at in the book of Acts so that we would be moved by your spirit and compelled by your love to fulfill this mission that you've entrusted to all of us individually and to your church. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I can begin with a question. Have you ever had anyone ask you to do something important and you felt both the privilege of being chosen but also the sense of responsibility to do the task well? Yeah, I remember when I was in college, when I was a freshman, the youth pastor of my home church entrusted me with what I thought at the time was an important task. He had just bought a brand new hole-punching machine that he wanted to use to prepare special packets for a retreat that our church was doing on Labor Day weekend. 
And so he showed me how to line up the paper properly into the hole punching machine, how to punch the small rectangular holes on the side of each paper, and how to add the plastic binding, you know, with the teeth on each packet. I also still remember vividly to this day how spectacularly I failed in this task. I think I was in a hurry because maybe I wasn't expecting to be assigned this important task. And so, knowing myself back then, I probably tried to rush things by putting more paper into the machine than what my youth pastor had showed me. I think I was trying to make like two packets at once. Why take twice the time when you can do it in half the time? And to my horror, at some point, I broke the machine, the brand new machine. And I will never forget that experience of having to face my youth pastor and telling him what happened. Now, thankfully, he took it very well. Number one, he didn't make me pay for this brand new machine that I just broken. And number two, he was still willing to assign me other tasks. And I'm pretty sure I took those privileges and responsibilities much more seriously. That's a really silly story, and you probably have a better example of being entrusted with an important task and feeling both the immense privilege and also the grave sense of responsibility. Our healthcare workers and our educators here feel that privilege and responsibility every day. Just to name two of several professions I could offer as further examples. Parents feel that sense of privilege and responsibility every day. And for centuries, Christians have felt a deep sense of privilege and responsibility to carry out an important task assigned by none other than the Lord Jesus himself. And this task has often been known as the church's mission. And this mission goes to the very heart of what Christianity is really all about. Without this mission, the church becomes nothing more than a social club with very little use for our world. And so when this church, when RCC launched back in 2010, we wanted to make sure to include mission as one of our core values. We spent the last few weeks looking at our church's core values. We started by considering first our core value of the Word of God, and then we looked at our core value of worship and biblical governance. Last Sunday, we reflected on our core value of community, and today we'll finish our short series by taking a closer look at the church's local and global mission. If you check out our website, rccnaperville.org, and you click on the About tab at the top of our homepage, you'll see a drop-down menu that offers a link to our core values. And if you click on that link, you'll find this description for our core value of the church's local and global mission. We believe that God will restore our broken world solely through Jesus' finished work on the cross. Genesis 3, 1 Corinthians 15. We are therefore committed to sharing this good news with respect, but without apology. Another vital component of our mission is serving our local and global community. The Bible encourages God's people to seek the peace and prosperity of their city, Jeremiah 29. And we want to follow the examples of Christians who cared for the poor and the marginalized. Acts 2, Galatians 2. Now, I know, in fact, that many of you here, many of you watching, are already engaged 
on mission in different ways. Even during this pandemic, you've built friendships with your neighbors, with your coworkers and your classmates. You've plugged into your community. Some of you have coached sports teams. Some of you are on different committees for your kids' schools. Some of you volunteer for service projects or at your local community centers. And I know for a good number of us, our faithfulness to God's mission, in this season of life at least, comes in the form of staying home to take care of our young kids. Now these are just a few examples. I know I could name so many more from the different conversations I've had with some of you. And so I'm not here this morning to take us on a guilt trip by addressing this core value today. I actually want to affirm what many of us are already doing as you're engaged on mission. But I also want to give this gentle reminder because I firmly believe that we experience the greatest joy and sense of fulfillment when we sense that we are living out our God-given purpose. That's what we as a leadership have always wanted for our church. We want all of us together to be able to experience the thrill and the joy of growing and growing together as we live out God's purpose for the church. And so this morning, we're going to take a closer look at this core value of the church's local and global mission. And I want to address three topics that are raised by not only our text, but really through the entire book of Acts. And that's going to be the mission scope, the scope of the mission, the mission's means, and the third and last, the mission's agents. If I put it another way, I'm going to be addressing questions of where is the mission, the mission's scope, and how are we to carry out the mission, the mission's means, and who, who carries out the mission, the mission's agents. So let's begin with the mission's scope. Here we're going to answer the question of where, where is this mission to take place? Our passage tells the story of Jesus' return to heaven, or as this event is known by its technical term, his ascension. We actually mention this every time we recite the Apostles' Creed, as we did this morning. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, before he ascended to heaven, Jesus used the final remaining moments he had on earth to give some important instructions to his disciples. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Many scholars view this one verse as sort of a table of contents, if you will, for the entire book of Acts. We see, first of all, the promise that Jesus gives. He says his disciples will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And then the second half is the mission. Once Jesus' followers receive the Spirit's empowerment, they are to be his witnesses. Their task is to tell everyone about who he is and what he has done and to challenge anyone and everyone to respond by believing their message. We're going to see an example of this in the very next chapter. And speaking of the next chapter, that's also where Jesus' promise about the Holy Spirit's arrival comes true. The Spirit arrives and fills the disciples and the entire community in Jerusalem. That event is known as Pentecost. 
And that event marks one of the most important moments in the history of the church. And then the rest of the book of Acts describes the church's dramatic growth from Jerusalem to the neighboring regions of Judea and Samaria, and then from there to what we now call Syria, Turkey, and Greece. And by the time we get to the final chapter in Acts, Acts 28, the Apostle Paul is in the heart of the empire, the city of Rome. But even from the earliest days, Christians have understood that the story of our faith doesn't really end at Acts 28. The movement that Jesus started over 2,000 years ago still grows today as his followers continue to carry his message to the ends of the earth. One of the key lessons we can learn from this is that the scope or the where of the church's mission is both local and global. Jesus had both in mind when he sent his disciples out to be his witnesses. They started in their local community, and for many of them, that was Jerusalem, but their mission didn't stop there, because Jesus told his first followers that this good news about who he is and what he has done must be shared all the way to the ends of the earth. Every nation must hear about who Jesus is. Every people group must hear about what he has done for them. One of the great themes in the book of Acts is that Jesus is an equal opportunity savior, meaning nobody is to be excluded from his gift of salvation because of his or her ethnicity or racial background or socioeconomic background or what have you. He came to save the entire world, and so the entire world must have the opportunity to at least hear about him. And so his followers must be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now here, we've been focusing a lot on Naperville and the western suburbs because that's our church's local community. RCC started over 11 years ago because some of us sensed a need and an opportunity to plant a new church that was committed to loving the gospel the message about Jesus, and we also envision a church that will be committed to his mission. But from time to time, we also want to give opportunities for a congregation to hear about important needs and opportunities in different places in the world. And so we highlight specific Christians who've gone to different places to carry out his mission in different areas. It's also why we support individuals and families who are serving in different places, not only here in the States, but in our country, but also around the world. And just a friendly reminder, we are privileged to partner with some friends through financial support and prayer as they serve in different places. We have, for example, the Four Directions Ministry Council, led by two of these brothers here standing with me. I took this picture last summer in Billings. Pastor Josh Charette in the middle and Brother Jeb Bland, uh, the tall gentleman standing on the left there have started a new ministry called Four Directions Ministry Council with the vision to raise up Native American leaders to reach Native American people with the gospel. We have Peter and Kathy Lee who have been serving in France. Uh, they are home now and they're actually going to be here next Sunday, as Pastor Noah mentioned in the announcements, to give an update on their ministry and Peter will also be delivering the sermon. We have Milo and Natalie Cho. This is a picture from... <laughs> A little while ago, all of us looked a little bit younger back in those days. I think this was at uh, Dave and Sandy's uh, family room. 
uh, when they did a home visit and uh, shared about the ministry in Thailand. We have Simon and Hannah Shu who have been uh, living and working out in Taiwan for the past couple of years, just trying to build relationships with their neighbors and their church, uh, improve on their language skills. And last but not least, we have Brother Jude Aguzma, who is on the right there, and Brother Augustus Kenne uh, in Haiti. Pastor Jude uh, returned to Haiti just over a year ago and has been living there and pastoring there and overseeing the school uh, that I've had the privilege of visiting and serving. And uh, Brother Kenne there on the left, uh, you know, he was actually not in very good health for a good period of time, but I'm pleased to report that. I received an email from Pastor Jude just this past week reporting two areas of good news. Number one, Kenne's health has improved dramatically. He's pretty much back to normal. And number two, he graduated. He graduated from his degree program where he was trying to get formal training to uh, become an administrator uh, at the school uh, in his community. We're thankful for these brothers and sisters who are serving in different areas of the world, trying to fulfill this mission that Jesus has given to his church to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And very often, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, taking the gospel to certain countries and cultures can be really hard work. Many of these friends who choose to go almost always spend substantial time away from their family and friends. They have to learn a new language. They have to learn a new culture. They have to discover that while the people they're serving can be friendly, they're not always receptive to their message. In some cases, they can even be downright hostile. When Jesus promises disciples here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they'll be his witnesses, the word for witness in the original language is the same word from which we get the English word martyr. Many of these first followers of Jesus would eventually be put in jail. Some would even be killed as they carried out his command to be his witnesses. And that's still the case today in some parts of the world where it's illegal to evangelize or it's illegal to become a Christian. In countries like Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan or North Korea, men and women in these and other places are literally putting their lives on the line for believing what we recite many Sunday mornings in the Apostles' Creed. This is a reality we easily forget here in the free and relatively affluent West. And so I'll just ask that we remember these brothers and sisters around the world, even as we continue in our own efforts to serve and love our own local communities. Their labor will carry the gospel to the ends of the earth while we continue to carry out the mission in our own front lines here. So what's the mission scope? Well, the mission scope is both local and global. That's where. It's to take place. How about the how? What are the mission's means? Well, the next few chapters in Acts shows us how Jesus' followers carried out his mission. First, they went back into the city and they waited for the Holy Spirit to come as Jesus promised. And then after the Spirit came, they immediately went out and started telling everyone they could about Jesus. And the next chapter, chapter 2, gives us an example of this. Specifically, verses 37 to 41 in Acts chapter 2, here Peter speaking to a large crowd in Jerusalem, 
And we can sense that they are deeply affected by what they're hearing as Peter is giving this message. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It's remarkable. 3,000 people become Christians after hearing that speech. And this is a pattern we see again and again as we continue reading the next few chapters in Acts. Christians share the message about Jesus, and the people convert when they hear and accept the message. And one small but important observation I want to make here is that verbal proclamation is an essential part of this mission. If we continue reading Acts, we'll see Jesus' followers sharing the good news about him with their words. And we'll also notice specific details about the gospel that cannot be conveyed apart from words. In verse 38, for example, Peter talks about the need for people to repent and be baptized. He specifically highlights the name of Jesus Christ. He talks about the forgiveness of sins. In other words, this message about Jesus has specific content that must be communicated verbally and understood and accepted. All that requires verbal proclamation. But having said that, verbal proclamation alone, I don't believe, accomplishes Jesus' mission. Because right after this speech that Peter delivers to Jerusalem, to the crowd, we find this description of the early Christian community in verses 44 to 47. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we see more conversions, and not just through the Christians' verbal proclamation of the message, but also through their generosity, their sharing, their concern for those who were in need. And this is another pattern we encounter as we continue reading through the book of Acts. And this offers for us another important lesson about the church's mission. If the scope or the where is both local and global, then its means or the how are both through word and deed. It wasn't enough for Christians to merely tell people that Jesus loved them. They also demonstrated God's love by doing what they could to meet the material needs of those around them. That was another key part of the church's dramatic growth. I think we have good reason to believe that the earliest Christians continued this commitment to both word and deed 
in the years following the book of Acts. I've mentioned Rodney Stark in previous sermons. Rodney Stark is now a retired professor. He taught for many years at Baylor University in their sociology department. And he published a book called The Rise of Christianity that reflected some intriguing research that he had done on specifically two terrible plagues that struck the Roman Empire after the era of the book of Acts. The first plague came in the mid-2nd century, and it wiped out anywhere from a quarter to a third of the entire population. And the next plague arrived about 100 years later, and some estimate that at its peak, about 5,000 people were dying every single day in Rome alone. And some historians have now speculated that these plagues may have, in fact, been something like smallpox. But Rodney Stark also noted that while these pandemics were tearing their way through the Roman Empire, Christianity actually experienced a dramatic growth. And when he researched some primary sources written from both Christians and non-Christians during that period, he made two startling discoveries. First, he noticed that many people, according to these sources, were fleeing the cities to try to escape the plagues, even if that meant leaving loved ones behind to die. But second, he also noticed that many Christians had decided to stay in the cities to take care of those who were sick, even if that meant catching the disease and dying themselves. And that's what led to Christianity's dramatic growth during those pandemics. You know, the history of the church, if you do your homework, you'll notice a lot of bad examples of believers who did nothing to care for those in need. And in some cases, these believers were actually the perpetrators for terrible social misdeeds like the Crusades and the slave trade. But if we do our homework, we'll also find a few notable shining examples of Christians who stood up against such social evils. Men like William Wilberforce, who were instrumental in abolishing the slave trade. Women like Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth. Men like Martin Luther King, all who were key leaders in the movements against slavery and other racial injustices here in America. And even today, among those who are working to fight injustices like human trafficking or who are advocating for refugees and immigrants, many of the most vocal leaders in these efforts are Christians. These friends are exactly the kind of witnesses Jesus intended for his people to offer to his world. They're an encouraging reminder that our mission is carried out through both proclamation and action that ultimately point the way to Jesus, who he is and what he's done and what he promises for our broken world. That's the mission's means, the how. It's through word and deed. Verbal proclamation coupled with action. How about the who? Who are the mission's agents? Talked about the where, the how. How about the who? Because some of us at this point may be thinking, well, the apostles... William Wilberforce, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, they're great, and I'm thankful for them, but 
<laughs> those folks are like elite level. And, you know, I'm happy that they were able to do such great things in their time, but I'm not them. I, I'm just me. I'm just an ordinary person living in the suburbs, trying to get through another day of school, another day of work. I'm just a parent who's trying to get through another day with my kids. What on earth can I possibly do to carry out this mission? Well, I want to try to encourage us by highlighting one small detail we find later on in the book of Acts. You know, the apostles were the very first church planters in the history of Christianity. Peter himself, we saw, had 3,000 people convert just from one sermon. In just a few decades, their message reached the largest cities in the Roman Empire and saw thousands of conversions along the way. But there's a story from Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John get arrested after they've performed a healing miracle. And after they're arrested, they're questioned by the Jewish high court in Jerusalem. And Peter starts talking again about Jesus with incredible boldness, even for him. Acts chapter 4, verse 10, we read Peter telling this Jewish high court, Know this, you and all people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Another example of verbal proclamation going on here, right? Very specific details about the message that have to be communicated with words. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. But then I love this next verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love the fact that Luke specifically points out that Peter and John were unschooled, ordinary men. They were not white-collar folks occupying influential places in society. They were not men with PhDs from elite universities. They were what we might call blue-collar guys. Fishermen who worked with their hands and got them dirty every day. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There is nobility in almost any job, as long as we do it unto the Lord. But that's just who they were. They were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, I think there are some truly exceptional men and women who God raises up in each generation to do great things in their time. Women and men who have the highest level of education and who work in influential places in society. And we should be thankful for them. And many of them also pay a very heavy price as God works in and through them to make a difference wherever he's placed them. These folks are precious gifts to the church. We should thank God for them. I just don't want to lift up the exceptional at the expense of the ordinary. Because I have a feeling many of us feel like we're ordinary. And the truth is, so much of God's mission is carried out by ordinary folks who just live each day with a desire to love Jesus and love his people and who just look for opportunities 
to be his witnesses through both their words and their deeds. In this book called Imagine Church, author and church leader Neil Hudson notes that this call to mission is not some elitist form of Christianity. It's just taking seriously the call to follow Jesus in the everyday lives we are already living. And this life is the ordinary life. It is imperative that people are able to own their their everyday lives as the arena where God can work in and through them. He goes on and says, there are many people sitting in churches up and down the country wondering why they are there. They are committed to Christ and committed to a strong belief in the church, but they just wonder why their two worlds seem so disconnected. To begin to reorient their activities so that they can be envisioned to live a full, whole Christian life is what many people have longed for. I get the feeling many of us can relate to this. Now, if you're wondering what you can do to help advance God's mission for the church in your life, your so-called ordinary life, then let me offer just one practical suggestion as a good start. That is, just find a very brief span during your otherwise busy day when it's actually quiet. Maybe it's when you're driving or when the kids are down or something like that. You're working out. You're out for a run, out for a walk. Find a brief span, maybe just five minutes, and use that span to pray for different things. Pray for our church. Pray for our leadership so we can serve by example and keep this call to mission high on the priority ladder, especially with the significant transition that lies just ahead. Pray for some of the people you know in your neighborhoods, in your schools, in your workplaces. Maybe there's one person or one family that you can pray specifically for just for this week. Just for this week. Pray for them by name. Pray for any challenges that you know they're facing. Pray that maybe God will even give you the opportunity to share his love with this person, with this family, in a very concrete and tangible way. I would encourage you to pray for your city, wherever you may live. Pray for your governing officials. We may not always share their politics, their views. As our elected officials, we may not always agree with decisions they make, but we can still pray that God will give them wisdom to govern wisely and justly. Pray also for the school boards. Many of them have gone through the most difficult season in their service, volunteer service. Pray for our law enforcement officials. Pray for the business owners in your town, for the nonprofit organizations, for the churches. If you really think about it, there's actually a lot to pray for, and prayer is actually important. It matters because this mission cannot be accomplished by human talent or ability alone. Like the believers in the book of Acts, we need God's Spirit to empower us, to help our work, our efforts take flight. Let's never forget the church took off in the book of Acts because it was the Spirit who came and empowered these first century believers. And it is the same Spirit that can help those of us who might feel ordinary to be His witnesses today.
our mission goes to the very heart of what Christianity and what the church is all about. If the scope of this mission is both local and global, the where, and if its means are both word and deed, the how, the book of Acts tells us that the agents or the who of this mission are just ordinary people. Ordinary people who are empowered by our extraordinary God. As I wrap up, there's actually one final question we need to answer, and it's an important one. The question is, why? Why? Mission's motive. Why should we want to carry out this mission? I mentioned in the beginning that I did not want to send us on a guilt trip today. But then what should be our motive for fulfilling this mission together? And I would argue that our primary motive should be a love and devotion to our Lord. He didn't just command us to be his witnesses. He didn't just command us to be his missionaries wherever we may be. He himself became the first true missionary who came to save us. He was the one who left the comfort of heaven and came into our broken world. He was the one who came not as a king living in a palace or as a warrior ready to conquer, but he came as a frail human baby born in a major in a conquered region of the Roman Empire. And he grew up in a carpenter's household and he lived a spectacularly ordinary life. While he was here on earth, he taught about who he is and he told people about their need to believe in him and be saved. But he also fed the hungry. He healed the sick. And he lifted up those who had been disregarded or looked down upon in their society. He showed his love through both his words and his deeds. And when he died, he died to bear the penalty of sin for every person from every nation who will ever believe. He died to save the world. We believe God planted RCC over 11 years ago so that we could be a church that carries out the same mission that the first Christians received back in Acts chapter 1. But we've never wanted to be motivated by guilt or from a sense of duty or obligation. We want rather to be motivated by a deep sense of gratitude to our Savior and for all He's done for us. We want our love for Him to be the fuel for our efforts to be on mission together. If we are looking to renew our commitment to this mission, I don't think there's any better way than remembering our Savior who became the first missionary and saved us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. May our love for him, more importantly, may his love for us be our greatest motive to carry out his mission together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to look into this text and really into the example of your church from the book of Acts as we are reminded of this important core value. Pray that you would help us to keep in mind the mission scope, local and global, as our core value states. The mission's means through our words and our deeds. 
And Lord, to also remember that you have invited us, you have given us this immense privilege and responsibility to be your witnesses. As ordinary as we might feel, as inadequate as we might feel, Lord, would you compel us by your love, by your example, by what you've done for us, to be ready to pray, to share, to act by your grace for our joy and for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.